Genesis chapter 29. Let's stand while we read, um, because not because that's a cool tradition, although that might become one, but there's a light somewhere. Read along with me. So Jacob went on his journey and he came to the land of the people of the east. Bum, bum, bum. And he looked and he saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of it, the well, out of the well, they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now, all of the flocks would be gathered there and then they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and then put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We're from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, Levan, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He's well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Well, look, it's still high day. It's not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until the flocks are gathered together. And they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. And she was a shepherdess, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, Rachel, the daughter of Levan, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Levan, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Levan, his mother's brother. I want to make sure you got that. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and he wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Levan heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his father's house. Or brought him to his house, I'm sorry. So he told Levan all these things. Now Levan said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. And then Levan said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Levan had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leach. Would you say Leach? Beautiful. Now remember, you can't say this stuff quietly. This is Hebrew. Leach. Beautiful. And the younger was Rachel. Would you say Rachel? Beautiful. Now, Leach's eyes were delicate. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Notice God knows how a man sizes up a girl. She was fit and she had a beautiful face. Now, Yehov loved Rachel, Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger brother. Younger brother, ha ha, your younger daughter, sorry. Levan said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days for him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Levan, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. 
Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I've served you? Why have you deceived me? Levan said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Refill her weak, and we will give you this one also for the service which you serve with me still another seven years. Jacob did also and fulfilled his week. So gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. Levan gave his maid Bilcha to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel. He also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Levan still another seven years. Will you pray with me, please? What a gift, Lord, what you're going to do in this time. I'm eagerly expecting really cool things. And so I pray, Lord, that you would make this time beautiful time, profitable time, amazing time, time where we could grow closer together as a family, time where we could grow closer to you, time where we gladly shed who we were and happily embrace who you have for us. I pray that your scripture would come so alive for every one of us, every one of us, that we would find ourselves in this place of amazement of how beautiful and personal you speak to us. And so, Lord, today I pray that you, you immerse me in your spirit that I would disappear, that you would fill me to overflowing with your spirit, that I would speak, that you would, that you would speak through me your words, that there would not be a moment spoke amiss, nor there be anything not said you would desire to say in this time. May we enjoy this time. I mean, truly, truly enjoy your scripture. Enjoy fellowship with each other. Enjoy fellowship with you. But Lord, beyond all of that, may you truly encounter us in a way where we could be changed, where we could be molded and shaped. God, I pray for that supernatural act of you speaking each of our languages right now. God, we recognize there may be people in this room where I may speak real quick, but God, you are perfect and you know how to speak to them and give us all the ability to interpret what you want us to hear today. So please do that. By the power of your spirit, let there not be a person here who was not personally spoken with, who doesn't personally encounter you and doesn't find themselves personally responding to you as you would have us. So we commit this time to you now, every moment of it, redeem it, glorify yourself, and may we celebrate the one who celebrates us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I would say today as I would any day that not just just don't believe me, don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be your final authority. Let the Bible always be the thing from which you stand on and test all things to be true or false. Now, let's put things a bit into perspective. Over 60 years ago, there was a girl who woke up, like any other girl in her community. And she woke up, 
to get water. Somewhere during the course of the day, part of her responsibility was to go get water. Just like any other girl on her block, just like any other girl in her neighborhood, she woke up with a few chores like anyone would have chores. And on this particular day, as probably every day, she woke up and decided she was going to get water. So she took her stone jar and put it upon her shoulder over 60 years ago and walked to the well. Over 60 years ago, that girl who we all knew, we went to school with, we played tag with, we started rumors about, we laughed, some had a crush on, some didn't, that kind of thing, just like any other girl. On this particular day, she went and found a stranger at the well. And that stranger at the well had 10 camels. That's a little odd. Now understand, a camel, that's a big and beefy, that's the Hummer of 2,000 years ago. That's the Humvee. I mean, that's just the thing that you get, and it's, it's like bling, just having it. And this guy's got 10, bling. He show up with 10 Hummers parked right there at the, at the petrol station. Now understand, again, the average, the average camel can drink, well, he can drink an awful lot, up to 50 American gallons of water. I mean, that's 60, 75, 80. I mean, think about how much that is. No, it wasn't. Well, anyways, about 225. So here we are. So 225 liters. So with that, 250 liters. And this gal walks up and sees this man, and he says, hey, can I have a drink? She says, well, sure. Why not? You apparently don't seem to have anything to draw from the well. Now, understand what a well is normally in those days. The well is not one of those cool little, why don't we turn this off, because that will probably be distracting, don't you think? Um, <clears throat> A well is not like one of those cool little Dutch things, you know, you see with all the nice little brick and the cute little top on it, and you kind of and roll up the thing. It's just a big hole in the ground where someone found water. So the idea of it, you come with a bucket and a rope. So you can drop the bucket down. Usually put a stone in the bottom of your bucket so it gets low enough because, well, wood has a tendency to float unless it's stone like hers. So with her stone, it can go right down. She gets the water. She has to pull it up. Now, when you're done with that, you want to cover that up because you don't want to be talking and fall into the water because there's more than one thing. You might get a nice bath out of it. Of course, you might drown because you're not going to get out of that well. But then who else? We don't get to drink. There's dead guy water. Who wants that tomorrow for, for breakfast? So, so we kind of cover it up. We protect that. That's the idea. But over 60 years ago, this girl showed up, and she looked, and she goes, wow, well, if you're thirsty, your camels are probably thirsty too. How about get your camels some water? Now think about this. And she says, I'm going to get your camel some water until they're fully drunk. In other words, for these guys who can drink 250 liters of pop. Now do the math on that. That's, that's 10 camels. Now how many times is this girl going to have to drop her stone jar before she actually really, until the camels are finally like, okay, they're full. Now that's quite an act. But over 60 years ago, the next thing you know, this guy pops a ring in her nose throws some bracelets on her arms and says, how would you like to come back with me to a magical land where we have lots of money and lots of stuff? These camels are only a part of it. You can hop on one of the Humvees, honey, because we're going to go back if you want to. And she disappears off into the sunset. And that's the last we ever see her again, 60 years ago. What an amazing Cinderella story. But it's a true one. And imagine sitting in the house of Bethuel as he tells this story to his family. His son, Devon, about his daughter, Rebecca. 
60 years ago. And now it's like a legend. You know, I mean, at this point, I wonder how it's been embellished. I wonder how it's been made colorful. And, you know, at this point, what did he show up with that didn't he really show up with? And did he, you know, and all these things. I mean, just think about how it happens over 60 years. But it's like, you know, it's like this story. We haven't heard from her since. We have no record of her ever coming back home for a holiday or anything like that. Just realize she went and she, she went and she was gone. Now, well, let's put things into perspective. 60 years ago today, or 60 years ago this year, 60 years ago this year, there was a woman in her mid-20s who, by the way, was third in line as a royalty. I mean, there was her father, but her uncle was in line of royalty. And when her uncle abdicated the throne, well, her dad, George, took over. But on this year, 60 years ago, he passed away. And a young Elizabeth Windsor takes the throne, as we know, as our queen. That was 60 years ago. A bit of a Cinderella story. Well, let me tell you another one. 60 years ago, there was this ballerina. Perhaps you may not be familiar with her. Perhaps you would. Her name's Audrey Kathleen Rustin. Um, she was, for what it's worth, she was born in Belgium. And she was working on a public performance of a um, performance called, um, called The Secret People. It allowed her to use her dance skills and try a little bit of that acting thing out while she was as well. Well, while she was doing this, on <clears throat> one of those days, she actually, <coughs> excuse me, ran in ha- one of those happened encounters in a, in a lobby of a hotel of a woman who was an author, a bit of a uh, crazy woman, a bit of a bohemian. And uh, not that every bohemian is crazy. And, uh, and she said, I think that you would be perfect for our um, performance of Gigi, a play that she had written. And um, this, young, this young woman then takes that particular, but on that, that bounces her off to a uh, screenplay for what she does assumedly rather poorly for initially, as she would have for this, because they were for- filming on the French Riviera for this particular production, originally of a thing called Nous Eurons à Monte Carlo. Moves to Gigi, and then the screen test for William Wyler's film. William Wyler was the director, and he originally, the, the producers really wanted Liz Taylor. But when this young unknown pops onto the screen and does her screen test, William Wyler immediately says, that's the girl we're looking for. Sixty years ago, they start filming it. By next year, she'll win an Academy Award. She'll win a BAFTA Award. She'll win a Golden Globe Award. And we know her as Audrey Hepburn. Sixty years ago, a girl emerges out of obscurity and becomes one of the household names to the point where half of the girls in the country here were getting their hair cut like her just to be like Audrey. Now, sixty years ago, it just seems like it was a fairy tale. Now, why do I even tell you things like this? Because over sixty years later now, we're in that same place in the house of Bethuel. And at the house of Bethuel, there's a son, Levon, and a sister who's gone now, who's gone away as the Cinderella 60-some years ago. as she was the one with the ring in her nose and the bracelets, and off she went to the area of Israel. Well, lo and behold, while all of that's happening, another man has made his way back to that same place from Israel. This man, on the other hand, who happens to be at least 40, his name is Jacob. 
And Jacob is fleeing for his life. Remember, Jacob had dressed like his brother. And in the dimness of his father's eyes, if you will, in the sheer darkness and his inability to see, his brother took advantage of, I'm sorry, his son took advantage of him. In the sense where he covered himself in animal hair, pretending, hear me on this, pretending to be like his brother, the one who likes to hunt and kill things. And with that, gets a blessing that God had already, well, he had already been promised by his brother and even before that by God. But now is fleeing for his life to save it because his brother finds out about this coup and decides he wants to kill him. So Jacob is fleeing over 500 miles away so that he can get away from his brother who wants to kill him. And he winds up going to the place and he winds up at a well again. Is it the same well? We don't know. Could be. But here he is at the well. And I think the last time we looked at a well like this, it was the servant of Abraham getting a bride for his son, Isaac, who happens to be Jacob's dad. In other words, for Jacob, it was getting mom. Mom was the one who was gotten at that well. So now Jacob shows up at this well, having deceived his father, having fled for his life, And that takes us to our story here in chapter 29. And there is beauty and humor, and I pray you see it as amazing as I do as we look at it. Now, let's dig in. Verse 1. Jacob went on his journey. Stop. Before we go any farther, I want you to recognize God knows that Jacob is not just fleeing for his life. Jacob is on a journey. And Jacob is on a journey to discover God in a very beautiful and profound way. If you remember from last week, Jacob had already encountered God in a place called Bethel. Does anyone remember what the name Bethel means? Beth means house. El, like Elohar, Elohim, means God. Remember what he saw there. It was a ladder from which he saw the angels of God ascending and descending, going up and going down this ladder. And he says, this is no other than the gate of, of heaven itself. So Jacob has encountered God. And as he's encountered him, he said, all right, God, as God had promised him, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to get you back safely. Now remember, Jacob is leaving with the intent that mom's like, look, just leave for a few days until your brother's anger kind of blows over. Then I'll send for you and you'll come back. So I wonder how long Jacob thinks it's going to be before he gets sent back. So Jacob, on his way, encounters God and God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to get you back. Jacob responds by throwing a vow out at God. First term vow in Scripture. And you read, all right, God, if you really do take care of me and you really do get me back there, well, then I'll serve you and you can be my God and I'll even give you a whole tenth of everything. Which just sounds as silly to me as any of our vows that we make to God. But here Jacob is on his journey. He's going to learn more about God than that he's just going to help fulfill his promise. But we read in this that he came to the land of the people of the east. Now before we go any farther, I want to make sure that you understand that the east always has a sort of a negative connotation. Adam was cast to the east, and we know that because the cherubim guarded the entrance to Eden on the east. Canaan went out of the presence of the Lord and went east in 4.16. It was the people of the east in 11.2 that wanted to build that tower in Babel. And Lot, when he looks, sees the land of the east in chapter 13, verse 11, and goes there, and we know that area to be the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. The east up to this point in Scripture has never had a really warm, fuzzy feeling to it. 
I mean, when you get to the plagues, you realize nasty things come out of the east. And you kind of, if you could see God saying, I'm going to send something from the east, and you think, do you really have to? And then that's kind of the idea on this. Is God's already kind of given this foreboding feeling. And he looked and he saw a well. And again, that was a well like where mom was going. And behold, there were flocks, and they were lying by it, and they were watering the flocks. And it says, <clears throat> and out of this well they watered the flocks. A large stone was by the well's mouth. Now the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the mouth. Now I get the idea. Now water is life. I mean, as far as anyone's concerned in the Middle East, water is everything. It really doesn't matter where you put your, your building. It doesn't matter where you put your city. If there is no water, it's going to be a ghost town sooner or later because you need water to live. And finding water is everything. But think about the idea here, what God's setting up. Because I think God is priming us in these cool little nuggets in this text to prepare us for the Gospels when we get to Jesus. And one of those things is, is that this stone isn't going to be rolled away until everybody's gathered there first. God wants a gathering of all of the sheep before that stone is rolled away because life comes from that, from underneath that stone. And we want to make sure they're all going to be there to get it. Did you get that? If we can get everyone around and we make sure they're all gathered together, let's roll away that stone. And if we roll away that stone, on the other side of that is the life we need. But we're not going to do it just so that a couple people come. We want all the sheep there first. Now, practically, it's probably a private well. And because it's a private well, he's not just going to open it up to anyone who walks by. He's going to well make sure that it's all at one time so it all gets taken care of. Somebody doesn't get more than another and so forth. So you could kind of get the idea. But I love the idea here that God has us where he's saying, look at, I'm going to wait till everyone's gathered and then I'm going to roll away that stone. When I get to the New Testament, I realize God is not going to allow Jesus to be crucified until all of his sheep are gathered and those sheep are gathered there at the Passover where the lamb is slaughtered, mind you, so they could all be gathered so when the stone is rolled away and they see that there's life on the other side, all of the sheep are already gathered to see it. And I think how cool it was that God even kind of primed us a little bit right here for that. Now, with that in mind, all the flocks were gathered and Jacob now shows up there. Now, we get the idea here that Jacob really isn't familiar with the culture. Now, one thing we do get out of this is Jacob is not a culturally sensitive kind of guy. I mean, what, he, what we'll find here is that love will make you do some really dumb things, including not care at all about who else you offend. No, you got it. what he does, he shows up, get this, and there's three different groups of people with their flocks. That's not everyone, apparently, but I mean, you kind of get the idea that they're queuing up and they want to be young in the queue. So they're kind of there and they've got their groups kind of waiting there, and Jacob kind of shows up and he looks at these guys and he's like, whoa, what are you all doing here? And they're like, well, we can't get water yet until everybody shows up. Once everybody shows up, we can roll away this stone. It's probably a stone large enough that it's going to take a couple of us. So we're going to roll away that stone. We can get water and, and all that. And then Jacob says something kind of odd in it all, right? Because he says, oh, my brothers. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and by, by the way, I mean, remember, his dad was the dad of the wells. Remember all the wells that were dug? All these wells that were argued with it near... near um, the Philistine territory. But he looks and he goes, it's not time for the cows to come home. And which one of us reads it and goes, oh yeah, I, I get that. What? What? Cows? What are you talking about? I mean, did, did you read that and did you get that kind of response? And you know, as Christians, if we're in church, we don't want to look dumb, right? So we don't want to really look like we're the only one that doesn't get it. But read it with me. 
In verse 7, he says, look, it's still high day. It's not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep, go and feed them. And I go, huh? Now, please understand, I, I, I'm a city boy. So when I think of cattle, my first thought is, that's a T-bone. That's a ribeye. That's a, I mean, you know, I don't think of big, smelly things. But I, I, I went and I did a little bit of research on the entomology to the term, the cows come home. Do you use that term here in, in England? You know, when the cows come home. Well, yeah, we're going to be out until the cows come home. Well, I found out that it seems to be, interestingly enough, a Scottish term, for whatever that's worth. But it, may, it was made popular by the Marx Brothers, and one of the Marx Brothers, if you're familiar with them, their, um, one of their movies, the movie Duck Soup, where he says, well, I'll dance with you, speaking to this woman, I'll dance with you till the cows come home, but I'd rather dance with the cows and send you home, basically, was the idea. But, and that the idea is simple, that cows are just slow, and they're lethargic, and it really isn't like you can really get them moving if they don't want to move. So they're usually the last ones to show up. Well, when they're the last ones to show up, it's closing time. It's, it's done. The day is done. But he makes two really important statements here. One of the statements is what time it is right now, and the other is this isn't quitting time. It's noon. What are you doing in the height of the day? You guys are all lounging around. Come on, where's your work ethic? You can see Jacob looking at these guys and going, what kind of place is this? Now imagine if Jacob, for instance, had showed up in Spain. And it's somewhere around 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What is everyone doing in Spain at 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Siesta. I remember that in Greece. Because we had showed up and we were actually on some of the cruises and we had wound up on Patmos and on Mykonos and these other places. And it's like, you get hungry about 2.30. It's tea time, man. I'm ready for something. And you walk over and I'm like, why is everything so... Oh, it's siesta. And it's like, no wonder why they can stay out till 3 in the morning because they had half their sleep in the afternoon. Well, and that's kind of the idea here is he sort of shows up and he looks and he's like, what's everybody lounging around? You get the idea that Jacob really isn't totally clued into the society here. Well, what are you all doing? It's not time to, to call in the cows and go get some water and get out of here. Now, he doesn't say that until first he gets an eye a shot of Rachel. So you kind of get the idea. They're like, what, what are y'all guys doing here? And they're like, well, we're all kind of waiting for this. Why aren't, you, why aren't you wearing your sheep? It's kind of weird. I mean, wouldn't it be weird if you just showed up and there's a stone around the wall of the mouth of the, you know, the mouth of the well, and you just see everyone kind of sitting there, and you're like, hmm, what, what, why aren't you guys getting any water? You guys roll away the stone. You guys can't roll away the stone, right? And they're like, oh, no, no, no. That's not how we do it here. We wait. And then he sees Shadow Rachel, and he's like, oh, you should get some water now and get out of here. And that's kind of the idea. You see, somewhere around the line, he catches a shot of Rachel, and he's like, ooh, this is not a time for you guys to be around here. I do like that. But the other thing that I think is profound is, is that there is a girl who comes to get water when? The middle of the day. It's the heat of the day. And she shows up at a well, and she's going to meet her groom there. And I think, ooh, is God preparing me for something? A woman shows up at a well in the middle of the day, unaware of how wealthy he is, how, how great he is in his own society, and how much he has to give her. She doesn't know. She's going to show up there, and we'll see the humor of the moment, but she shows up at a well in the middle of the day, and she's going to meet her groom. And I can't help but fast forward to John 4. 
is in John 4, there's a Samaritan woman that shows up at a well in the middle of the day. And I thought, wow, God prepared me for that? And I think, wow, you, wow, that's a brand new idea for God. No, actually, that is something he prepared all the way with the father of Israel. Matter of fact, the man whom they will call Israel. And it happens right here. And I think, how profound. Now, He's talking to these guys. How are you guys doing? All right. What you guys doing sitting around? Blah, 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 blah. Dears, where are you from? We're from oh, this is, wow. Because, I mean, how do you know? You don't have a GPS. You're kind of wandering north, and you're like, so what town are we in? You know, I mean, it isn't like welcome to when there's signs and demarcations. And, oh, oh, there's the city center, and there's the high street. And he's just walking, and he sees a well. You know, and he's like, okay, so where are we at? Where are you guys from? Where, where, where are you at? Where are you from? Oh, we're from that. Oh, wow, good, good. Well, that's where I need to be. Do you happen to know this guy? And they're like, oh, yeah, we know him. And you don't see that these guys are real talkative, you know? So where are you from? Right. Good, good. Okay. Um, do, do, do you know Levan? Yeah, we know him. And? Oh, yeah, well, it's his daughter coming right now. Really? Oh, you, you need to get some water and get out of here. And so with that in mind, we see one of the most beautiful and strangest moments in all of Scripture. Verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep because she was a shepherdess. Which is really fun, because does anyone know what Rachel means? Rachel means you, like lamb. And I think, well, this is an interesting thing. That this one that is so loved by the groom is a lamb that will be a shepherd. And I think, huh. Well, that's interesting, considering that Jesus was the land of the slaughter and, of course, the good shepherd, but just the same. With that in mind, he was still speaking with him. She shows up. It came to pass when Jacob, verse 10, saw Rachel, the daughter of Ivan, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Ivan, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Do you think that God really wanted us to get that point? Now, why is that? Well, what do we know about mom up to this point? Mom got covered in gold and said she would go. And then mom set kind of Jacob up to this whole coup in the first place. And you kind of get the idea Jacob is fleeing because of this kind of crazy story concocted in mom's mind. And you kind of get the idea here that God goes, I just want to let you know that mom's not going to be the only person like this. Now, truth be told, every one of us has this in us. I mean, to be honest, the, the least dangerous is just the least bright. The smarter you are, the more dangerous you are because it's the more schemes you can put you, know, you can put together in your head. And he goes, I just want to warn you, remember how mom got, how Jacob's fleeing because kind of this whole idea that mom concocted? Well, he, she's about, Jacob's about to meet mom's brother who seems to be, by the way, if mom had a PhD in this, or mom had a master's in conniving, this man's going to have a PhD. So it says, it came to pass, he saw Rachel, and it says, verse um, verse 10, that Jacob went near to roll the stone from the well's mouth, watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob kissed Rachel, lifted up his voice, and wept. Now, stop for a second. You have to see, this has to be one of the strangest moments in all of Scripture. Let's just kind of play it out for a second, just to kind of give you the idea. Now, I remind you, 60 plus years ago, some stranger showed up at the well, grabbed the girl in essence, she went with willingly, and covered her in gold, and off she went off into nowhere. And that's kind of our Cinderella story. Sixty plus years later, here comes, here comes Rachel. Dun da dum da dum da dum, kind of coming with coming with her sheep, right? And as she's coming with her sheep, she comes to the well. 
Now she comes to the well. Now what's she doing at the well? She's coming just to kind of get in the queue with everyone else to wait till everybody shows up so that they can roll away the stone and get water. Are you with me so far? Now a total stranger, remember she has no relationship that she's aware of with him, looks at her and goes, whoa, kicks, gets the stone off and goes, here, have some water. Right? And he goes, and he starts watering all of her sheep. Here you go, sheepy. Here you go, sheepy. Here you go, sheepy. And then what does it say? And then he goes and he goes, Now what, how does that not seem strange to you? What do you think Rachel is thinking at this moment? She's probably thinking, help, 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 help. Think about this. A stranger has come up to her. And all he's given her is kindness, openness, and love. But which one of you women would take that out on the street somewhere? Imagine you're walking a couple of your dogs. And as you're walking a couple of dogs, the guy just comes over and goes, Oh, here's some biscuits. Here's some water. Oh, and it starts bawling his eyes out. Which one of you thinks, this is going to be a great day? Good, normal day. Have a seat, thanks, honey. <clears throat> That's my daughter, by the way. I don't just do that, so don't not come back because you're afraid you'll be next. I don't know about that, Pastor. He gets all kinds of crazy. Now, think about this, though. <clears throat> He's the one guy in the know. He knows who she is. She doesn't know who he is. And he's come, well, and he's, he, he's coming looking for someone to dump love on. He's coming looking for someone to take back to, with him. Listen, he's coming looking for someone to take back with him to a place where there is plenty and there is abundance of everything. But yet in all of that, she has no clue. Now this is in no way me encouraging you to go embrace a stranger on the street and ask him how much he's got back at his house. How much you got? Can I follow you home? Don't. We're too smart for that. But if the Lord were to come up to you today, he wouldn't come up to you, I don't think, any much differently. He would come, he'd come to meet the needs. He needs you experiencing at the moment. Now, I don't know what those things are that are hanging off of you at the moment. The emotional weaknesses, those things in your life that are vacant, those things that are empty. But just the same, the things that are hungry, that are, that are needing to be tended to. The things in your life that you're trying to hurt and keep in order, right now they're falling apart on you. You're trying to keep it all together, but it's like herding cats, and they're all going in other directions, and you're like, man, my life is so falling apart. And, and I'm, but, I'm, but hey, but we're British, man. We're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep a sh- uh, we're gonna keep a, a brave face on. And I don't want to let you know that my life's a mess. And the Lord comes and says, hey, I, I, I want to meet all those things. And then He doesn't just come and say, okay, hey, how's it going? He comes with open arms. But you know why we wouldn't approach him with open arms? Because we've already approached other people with open arms and we know what that's gotten us. And Jesus is different from every other person we've ever met because he'll never do what's wrong. He's perfect and he's God. As where nobody else that you've done that with has, has been. But yet even in all of that, beloved, he hasn't changed his mind and he hasn't changed. And there he is. And then he tells, and then he informs her. And so I get the blessing today, if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus, of letting you know who this, who this great Jesus is. 
But after he does all of this, and I just think it's interesting because the word wep is the word beka, and beka is the word that really means, to be honest, to almost crowd in bitterness, which is a really weird term. I mean, there are terms for shouting for joy, and it's not the term we have here. But please understand, Jacob's trying to run from death. Do you get that? Have you ever had to run from death? I mean, really genuinely. And you just realize, man, how do I get away from this? Maybe it was someone that wanted you dead. Maybe it was a disease that should be taking your life and it hasn't yet. Maybe it's an addiction that you know that if you leave untreated, it's going to take you. It's going to win. Sooner or later, you know it's not in there for part-time sharing. It's there for total domination. And you know that if you... Well, if, if it stays on the track it is, sooner or later, it's going to take you down completely. And, and you realize that. And somewhere down the line, you are trying to flee from that. And in the midst of all of this, the thing, you're just trying, you don't even care where you're going. When you are fleeing, when you are running from something, where you're going doesn't matter as much, does it? But, but Jacob winds up in this place, and of all the places... He meets someone to fall in love with. Like, what a crazy thought. What an amazing God that would do that at this moment. Now, Jacob's got a lot of lessons to learn, just like all of us. But I could just see him at this moment, at this one moment, like where all of that running and the fleeing for his life is kind of off his shoulders for a moment as he realizes that there's more to this than just trying to escape death. And can I just say this sincerely as your pastor? If the only reason you're a Christian is to escape death, I pity you. Because that would be, let's just make that the cross, but not the resurrection. Yeah, true, your death was paid for on the cross. Jesus died for all of your guilt to pay for all of your wrong. But he rose again to give you a new life. One where it's covered in love. Not one where it was what it was. And this is why if we just say, I accepted Christ, but your life doesn't change in any way, there's something about that that makes me go, I'm not really sure. No, I I, I can't be the one. I'm not going to be the judge on heaven anyway, so you won't have to worry about that. But I I know the difference Christ makes in lives because I know the difference he's made in mine. But understand, this man is running from death, but he's finding love. Am I just saying the difference between Jesus and anything else that's going to be paraded as religion to help you is it may try to help you escape death to whatever degree and whatever lie it promises, but it doesn't offer you anything beyond that. In, in the end of it all, this, this God who so loves you doesn't want you just to get out of hell. I want you to have love. God didn't just so tolerate you or so permit you. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. And then we read, oh, how great the love is that the Father has lavished or flooded over us or on us we would be called children of God. You see, Jacob's going to get more, or I should say, Rachel's going to get more than a husband. She's going to get a father. 
And I think she's going to get a father infinitely better than the dad she's dealing with right now. Was White, his name is Whitey Levon. Now, with this, now imagine again, we went from a really bizarre moment to a moment where he tells her. Verse 12, Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebecca's son. Remember Rebecca. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm Cinderella's son. That's what he's saying. Because remember, his mom was the girl 60 years ago that was found at that well, and she, she went, rode off into the sunset. And now her son shows up, and this girl, and he looks at her, and she doesn't know. She woke up this morning, just like any other morning, got to the sheep, and led them around and was taking them to the well like she probably does every day about this time. Had she any idea that today her life would be changed forever? And maybe you came to church today and you don't even know why you came. Maybe your friends invited you and maybe they'll owe you something if you went to this first. And in all of that, <clears throat> maybe you just thought, I'll, I'll, I'll do my time, I'll get over it, and then I'll go back to normal life. I pray you never go back to the life you came in here with. And my prayer is that you would be so covered and engulfed and enfolded in this love that you would walk out of here a brand new, changed person. And I tell you what, I always, always, always expect to be different when I leave than when I come in. And I didn't come in that bad, but I expect to come out better. So I want studies all the time. So he says, I'm Cinderella's son. That's me. And I'm kind of looking for a girl. It came to pass, it says, when Rachel heard that she was her father's relative and that he was Rebecca's son, she, she ran and told her father. When it came to pass, Levon, that's dad, his name again means Whitey, heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. So that's how I know this kiss wasn't like they were, you know, just sucking tonsils because if that's the case, this really gets bizarre. It's the same word in the Hebrew for both. That's that. It's the kiss you'll get in, in matter of fact, you'll get in a lot of Mediterranean places. I actually love it because I, I feel like I'm part of the family when I get that. And they brought him to his house and he told Laban all these things. Now, Levan said, surely you're bone in my flesh. So he stayed with him for a month. Now, don't miss this. By the way, in culture, you're only supposed to th stay three days. After three days, you have to do something. You should pay for your way somehow. Three days is what's culturally allowable for hospitality. But remember, I don't think Jacob thinks he's going to be there long. I mean, Jacob kind of comes for a while, and he looks, and he's just waiting for that letter from mom. Remember, that says, all right, Esau's cooled off. You can come home. And it's been a month now. Every morning, he kind of wakes up. Is there anything? Do we get any word? Do we anything? No, nothing, nothing. For After three days now, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, he's staying beyond his welcome. It's a month now. And finally, there's that elephant in the room you're going to have to address. So how long are you going to stay here for anyways? Are you sure you're really from that family? Because if you are, why are you still here? So he says, verse 15, Levon says to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Well, what do you say we work out some kind of work plan? Because clearly at this moment, you're not doing so well the way it is. And so it says, well, Levon had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leach. Could you say Leach? Leach, by the way, means weary. Who names their daughter weary? Tired. Matter of fact, it comes from the word la'ah, which means to be tired. Now, 
We're going to read a little bit about her. Only We only have one particular feature, and I start to think I'm reading Dickens, who always seems to pick a body part and say, oh, that's what the person's like, and you kind of get the idea. They have a big chin, they're probably going to fish all the time, or whatever, broad shoulders, whatever. You kind of get, he picks one body part and says, that's going to be the one thing that kind of tells you a lot about him. She has, according to this, weak eyes, or delicate eyes, verse 17. The word is rock. Could you say rock? Rock like rock! Yeah, that's the idea. Well, the word is used, by the way, twice before this point. Um, actually, I say once before this point, when Abraham took a tender calf, when the three uh, individuals, the two angels, and the Lord showed up right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a tender calf. In 33.13, when Jacob is, is heading back, he encounters Esau. He'll actually say, look, at the animals and the people are too faint. They're too weak. David will say in 2 Samuel 3.39, I am weak from the sons of Zeruiah um, because of the, the cruelty that they had shown. Proverbs 25.15 says, A soft tongue or gentle tongue breaks a bone. Isaiah 47.1 talks about the virgin daughter of Israel and says you will no longer be called tender and delicate. So the idea of the word is a word that means, in essence, tender or weak. Now, that means she's either tender eyes or she's weak eyes. But one thing's for sure, according to this, it kind of speaks of it as if it's just something that you just aren't drawn to. It isn't like you put it on your eHarmony kind of profile. By the way, I have tender or weak eyes. You know, I mean, what kind of picture do you think? You see, kind of see her like, like looking like that, or she kind of looked droopy because her term, term is weary. You look at the child and the baby, and you're like, now I don't know if they're like, oh, it's a child, I'm going to call myself weary. Or she looks weary, let's call her weary, let's call her Leah. So Princess Leah is, is this daughter, and she just, in essence, means that. And something about her, she's just not the thing. Rachel, on the other hand, she, man, I tell you what, you look at her at a year, but I can go, woo! You know, it's just clear from the beginning of this. And God knows. And he's, he's not endorsing that. He's just saying, look at what's clear on it. And it's from Jacob's perspective, everything about her on the outside looks fine. But don't miss this because that's been the problem with his dad. What's going to be interesting, and I challenge you if you were Bible students, to do a study on these two women for a moment and see, well, what do we know about them in their relationship with God? Because next week, God willing, when we get into these children that they have, and you'll find out all Leah wants to do is be loved. And she's like, oh, surely my husband will, be, will want me now. Surely my husband will see his son. God is heard. And oh, surely he'll be attached to me now. And now I will praise the Lord. That's what you get out of Leah. Do you know what you get out of Rachel? You get a girl who stole her dad's household idols. And I realize if Jacob were really looking for a girl, a character, he might have actually shot for Leah more than Rachel. But that's not the way it's playing here. Jacob kind of looks and he sees a real fine thing coming to the well. And he says, well, well, well. So, <clears throat> Leah, so and Rachel again, remember, means little sheep or, or you. So Leah's eyes, verse 17, were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, Jacob loved Rachel and he said, well, I'll serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Levon said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. So stay with me. So he served her seven years. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture for Rachel. And they seemed like only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Listen, and I, I can't be more serious about this. 
Love will make you do really crazy things. But I got to tell you what, one thing love does not do is score keep. That's just something I've learned. And when you're in love, you just don't keep score. Do you know how many days? How, I mean, granted, it's seven years comes up, you know he wants to get his girl. But in the end of it all, it's like these, when you are serving out of love, it just doesn't seem like an arduous, tedious thing. Friends, sincerely, sincerely, I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and sincerely, I have never for a second not loved what I get to do. I absolutely love this. And it isn't because I have to, or it isn't because I get paid or anything like that. I can't believe they pay me. The the bottom line on it is, I just love what I get to do. And I pray that for you too. I pray that you would so fall in love with the Lord as he has with you. Because for God, remember how it says that a thousand years is like a day to him? And I can't help but think of this verse. Because Jacob served. And seven years were like days to him because he loved her. And I think about what God is like as he's serving mankind. And a thousand years is like a day because of the love that he has for us. Not because God's just loose with his math. I look at this and I think, finally seven years come up and he's like, okay, let's go. It came to pass, it says then, then Jacob said to Levon, verse 21, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. Levon gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now a feast, of course, involves alcohol and such and just the same. It came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and she went into her. Now, please, uh, we only have a few minutes left, but I, I want you to think about this for a second, and especially if you're the kind that's a bit sensitive, how utterly horrific this moment must have been for Leah. Somewhere down the line, there has to be this conversation. And think about this conversation. Dad's got it. Your dad. Your dad has to sit down and go, honey, we need to talk. Um, your sister, you're aware of the fact that Jacob loves your sister. You're well, well aware of the fact that he's Cinderella's son. He's got everything. And oh, the only way you're going to be able to get that is you're going to have to pretend to be your sister. Could you imagine that counsel? No one's going to love you unless you pretend to be someone else. But wait a minute. That doesn't sound like Jesus. Matter of fact, that sounds exactly like the enemy. Isn't that what the enemy's been telling you since the beginning? You know, if you could be someone else, well, they'll love you then. Prettier, thinner. You could nip and tuck and suck right out of you and, you know, sooner or later get some cosmetic this and take the fat and stick it in your lip and then get the, you know, the tattoo under your eyes so you got permanent eye makeup on and then you could stick that, you know, that venom in your face that's just botulism so your face is frozen like this for a week and then, look, I'm young again, or whatever it is, and then, you know, you could take that fat. It isn't that you don't want fat, you just want it somewhere else and we'll just, we'll put it somewhere else and make you, you can get rear end implants now. And in the end of it all, it's like, if I could do that, if I get plugs, I'll do it. Hmm? I'm gonna get some pec implants. So I could be all, you know. No, I can't. I don't, you know, and you know, in, in the end of it all, right? But if I could, then, God, then they'll like you. Well, then you know what it's like to be Leia a little bit, don't you? 
But imagine your dad telling you that, or your mom. Somewhere down the line, someone has to play this role, and dad's clearly aware of it. But then you have to get in there, and it's like, but think about it. Could you imagine she's thinking, what if I get busted? I mean, the tent's dark. The chuppah's dark. But, I mean, what if he wants to bring in a torch or something? And, you know, I mean, somewhere down the line, it's like, you know, what if he puts his hand on my face and he feels my eyes? I mean, somewhere down the line, he's going to, you know, think about it. What happens? And imagine that panic that she must have had inside of her as the man comes in. But to me, I think that there's a bigger heartbreak than all of that. I mean, Dad not only gives her that, but it says he also, by the way, he gives Zilpah. Zilpah, by the way, means to trickle as a daughter to his maid. By the way, it's the one gift you give to a daughter that she doesn't share. In theory, although she's going to share, that's pretty evident. And it says, by the way, in verse 23, it came at evening that he took Leah's daughter, brought her to Jacob. Remember, she's veiled before she goes in. And he went into her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah as well. And it came to pass in the morning, verse 25, that behold, it was Leah. And then he's going to go right away to Laban, the bottom. So, imagine Jacob wakes up and he's like, it's so good to be alive. Ah! And he sees Leah there. And imagine what he says to her. What are you doing here? I didn't want you. Ah, oh, come on. And off he throws himself together a little bit and off he goes off to her dad. What would it be like to be her at that moment? To have not only your dad know, but your groom look at you and go, what, you? I didn't work seven years for you. You know what's amazing? Is that God knows how unloved she is. And it's from her that the Messiah is going to come, not from Rachel. God knew. I just think of the compassion of God through this time. But imagine, wait a minute. There's a strange meeting here because Jacob's going to go to his dad. Well, his father-in-law. He's going, let me see if I have this right. You have somebody pretending to be somebody else to get something. Who would do something like that? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why is Jacob there in the first place? And I think, wow. Do you realize what Jacob and Leah are going to have in common? They're going to be able to talk about that panic and that fear they felt when they were playing the coup on all of this? Because both of them know what it was like to not be wanted, but have the other favored. Their sister, their brother, their kin favored instead of them. They would both have that in common, wouldn't they? In essence, they're both rejects, castaways. What a perfect couple to see the love of God. But imagine Jacob's indignation at this moment. And imagine if Laban said, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute here, hotspot. I kind of get an idea. I know you know what that feels like. But he doesn't. He says, we have a, we have a, well, we have a standard here in this society, and that's the older has to get married first. Now, apparently, Jacob must have a pretty good work ethic, because if he did a terrible work ethic, Dad wouldn't want him for seven more years, would he? He's like, I tell you what, seven more years. By the way, that whole thing will turn into 20 before Jacob gets out of there. Seven more years and I'll give the week. You've got to give her, give her the week. I mean, you know, your marriage is, I mean, truth is if you were a Hebrew, it's supposed to be seven years or one full year. One full year you can't actually get drafted. You can't, you don't have to serve in any form of military. One full year, <coughs> you, can't, you can't do jury duty. Nothing of that matter. 
Because your first year is supposed to be that the groom just gets absorbed in his bride and the bride just gets absorbed in her husband. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But he goes, well, give her the week. I mean, at least give her the week. You know, the honeymoon. Take your honeymoon, and then you can get the one you want. But you have to work seven more years for it. So, which is interesting, because the one that he really wanted, he wound up working 14 years for, and he got another one out of the deal, and two, because they both get maid servants too. So it must be not be done. Let's read this to close it up. Verse 26. It must not be done so in our country. Give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week. And we will give you this one as well. Also for the service, we will serve me for another seven years. So Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel, Rachel, as well. And he also gave his maid Bilcha. Could you say Bilcha? Which means timid. She won't necessarily be that completely, uh, it appears. Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Levan another seven years. Now, we end this kind of with a weird feeling, don't we? Like, wow, this is a horrible, what a dysfunctional family. The guy's got two wives, one he didn't want from the first place, but he's got. It's clear that he doesn't want to not go near her because she's going to have some babies and she can't do that on her own. But in that, uh, obviously in it, what we have here is that which one is God, I mean, which one is God going to shine on? And well, he's going to shine on both, but the one that he really seems to show great compassion and mercy to is going to be this one, Leah. And I do love this because this was a girl who... Well, she wasn't, seemed like she wasn't really favored by dad, and she really wasn't favored by her husband, but she was sure loved by God. Now, let me ask you a couple questions as we go to prayer. Today, I don't know how you've come in here. Maybe you came in here a lot like, <clears throat> like Rachel, where you were just trying to put everything together, and you wound up not expecting God to meet you, but just the same he did. And now he's like, what are you going to do with him? And he's given you hints of his love. He's given you great graces and offers of a place of absolute forgiveness and care and love and to absorb you into his family. And what's clear is that God will take people from just about any particular, well, from any situation because his family is riddled full of very human people. Because if they were all perfect and they never sinned, how would we ever feel like we could qualify? But I look at this family and I think this looks a lot like any of our families. I think I could fit just fine in this family. But in that, God knows who isn't wanted, and you'll never, you can never say you're not wanted by him. You can say that maybe someone else seems to be favored. Maybe you've got a brother or a sister that you think, boy, they're the shining star of the family, but not to God. Maybe you think there's someone, and they're just, you're always going to live in their shadow, not to God. God so loves you, so loves you, that he would go to where you are to get you. Not wait for you to crawl up to his world and meet you right down at yours. And when he does, he will come with all kinds of rhapsodies of his goodness. And he's not just there to sing you a song and leave you in the cold. He's there to actually take you back. And Jesus even promised that. His goal is to take you and cover you in his love and then bring you back to where he is. Now, have you said yes to that? Because otherwise, this is just a cool little story and we've been entertained for a couple minutes and we walk out. But I'm here to let you know, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus, you can today. His death on the cross proved that everything that you've done wrong has been paid for. 
But his resurrection offers you more than just running from your death. Now it offers you a life engulfed in love. And we really love that. That's his whole purpose in this. But if you have said yes to Jesus, and now here you are at a place where you're going, now how do I reconcile this to my walk now? Well, where do you take this? We are representatives of this great God. We're representatives of this great King. And there are people all over this world that just feel like there's no place for them unless there's someone else. Can we be people to love people enough through those warts and say, can I just see who you really are? Because I'll actually love you for who you really are. You don't have to put on a show. No emotional or makeup for me. Just give me who you really are. And I just want to love you for who you are because in the end of it all, the Lord already sees through it anyways. And he wants you. And I want to be someone as a representative, as an ambassador, as I pray you would too, who would really extend that love to the people who feel like they're very unlovable. Now, there'll be some out there that they think that they're so darn lovely that God would do himself a favor to get them. We'll pray for them as God breaks them. But for those who know their need, that we could represent well. Would you pray with me, please? God, I thank you. I thank you for this beautiful chapter. I thank you for what you've done in it. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of this time. And I just pray, Lord, right now, for the believers in this room, myself included, Lord, that we would not be people who would be distracted by this season, distracted by the commercialism or the the avarice and greed that comes with this season, when we recognize it's usually this season more than anywhere, people feel lonely and rejected and desolate, but put on the brave face and they don't want people to know it. And I pray right now, God, for every one of us that we would be people who would be willing today to be used by you to go to wherever the watering hole is and to meet the woman at the well, to meet the person who seems, well, that, that knows they need someone and that we could extend your love and grace and kindness. And I pray, Lord, that there be any here in this room who have not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I know that today they woke up one person and they could go to sleep another. But Lord, for that to happen, I pray right now that you would show them the truth by the power of your Holy Spirit, the truth of who you are in this text as a God who loves the unlovable, who wants the unwanted, And today offers his love. And I pray that if that's you, that you would listen. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you agree with this prayer at the end of it, I ask you to give a resounding, confident amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. Because I'm going to pray a prayer receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yeah, I already have, but I love to renew my vows. I love to again acknowledge him as my Savior and as my friend. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, I I confess to you my need. I recognize right now, God, that, that, that that I'm filthy in and of myself. I'm guilty of my own works. And I really need you to reach out to me right now. If you really were willing to die for me on the cross, as your scripture says, Father, if you were really willing to send your son to die, well, then clearly I must be important to you. I must be desirous to you. And with that, God, right now, I don't want to pretend to be someone I'm not. 
I don't want to lie and, and try to make it look like I'm someone perfect or I'm someone amazing or pretend to be someone that I can in, in my mind envision that you would accept. I know you want me the way I am, but you want to reinvent me anyways. And so I accept the gift of your son, Jesus the Christ, on the cross. I accept his gift, confessing him as my ransom. And as he rose again and gave me new life, offers me new life, I say yes to Jesus as my, as my Lord. Make me yours completely. Father, adopt me as your own. Jesus, be mine completely. Cover me in your love. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for the privilege of this time. The honor it is to be your pastor. I don't take it lightly. Hey, would you just take a moment? And what we'll do is just, um, we're going to have uh, communion in the last couple of minutes. Is this the first Sunday of the month? Wow, I'm so on, not on top of it. Isn't that great? What a perfect time for it. So let's do this for a moment, if you would. Just, um, just take the moment and get quiet before the Lord. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to partake of this with me. So with that in mind, we're going to pass them out. And as we pass them out, why don't you just stand for a moment so it'll make it handing it off easier for everyone except poor Sarah. And then as we hold on, but don't take, them to, don't take them until we all do together. So if you've accepted Jesus, hold on to these things with us and we'll take them together. So let's do that now. Let's stand. I realize for some of you, this may be your first communion. I realize for some of you, this may be your first communion out of something, outside of something that's liturgical or where it's just something you do because the church just does it. But please, I, I want you to recognize this becomes a testimony of what Jesus has done for us. The only people who are supposed to take this are people who have accepted his gift because this is a celebration. Please understand, this was the Pesach, the Passover. And at the Passover, Jesus took bread and he broke it. For every person in that room, we would have understood that bread was called the Lamech Ani, the bread of affliction. And that bread was the testimony of our bondage, what it meant to be a slave. Now for the Israelis, that was 400 years in bondage in Egypt. But Jesus himself said, if you sin, you're a slave to it. You live in that lifestyle, you've been, you're in bondage of it. But here is God. And imagine God himself, Jesus, in the flesh, 
taking that very symbol of your affliction, of your bondage, and breaking it in front of you and saying, look it, it's over now. It's not just, you're not going to need 15 steps for this. I'm breaking it right in front of you right now. But we read, he blessed it and he broke it. And then he said, take this and eat. This is my body broken for you. The point of this is that we are acknowledging again, we are testifying again that this is what bought us. This is what saved us. Not this bread, but what it symbolizes. A God who loved me so much that he would be broken just so that I could be made whole. Now, if you've done it and you've not even known why before, I just want you to know at least why we do this now. Scripturally, we do this because Jesus told us to, and he says whenever we do it, we testify of his death until he comes. We testify that Jesus was broken so we could be made whole. Now that blessing that he prayed was in the Hebrew, blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread up from the earth. The blessing not only spoke of its brokenness, but of the resurrection. And for 1,400 years, they had been praying such a blessing or singing such a blessing or a kiddushin. Uh, and so with that, we're going to do the same. So we're going to sing it in Hebrew, if you'd like to sing with me. And then we'll partake together. <clears throat> Baruch Atu Adonai Ileihanu Malek HaOlam Hamatsi Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread up from the earth. Amen. Oh, what a celebration. You're bought. You are bought out of hell, out of slavery, out of bondage. You're free. But, oh, I got saved when I was 19. And I've sinned a lot since then. I feel like it was good he gave me a new start, but now I'm kind of rotten again. I've done enough wrong in between. And thus the cup. The cup doesn't speak of our purchase because, well, the bread spoke of our purchase. The cup speaks of our keeping. The cup is a cup of a covenant. A covenant is that declaration of commitment. And what's beautiful about this cup, just like Genesis 15 where God does the, the covenant with Abraham, is it was never reliant on Abraham's perfection on his, on, on his performance, it was always reliant on God's faithfulness. And this cup, what this testifies is that he never changes his mind. He's never going to go, all right, forget it. I didn't know you were going to do that. Because when he got into the relationship with you, he already knew everything you would do. And he still got in it anyways. 
the reason why we drink this cup is because we celebrate a God who never changes his mind about wanting us. He wants us just as much today as he's ever wanted us. And the Bible does not say whoever was in Christ became a new creation. It says whoever is in Christ is a new creation. You continue to be perpetually a new creation. That is the Lord looking at you every moment as if you are brand new in Him. And you know what? Let's be honest. He needs to do that. Because I do a really good job of giving Him reason to have to start over and over and over and over and over and over and over to see me clean and new. We drink this cup declaring God's faithfulness to us in our desire to be close to Him that He would bear much fruit through us. And so the blessing, blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who gives us the fruit of the vine. Bore Priago Bore Priago Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who gives us the fruit of the vine. Beloved, you've made it through the long one, the communion service. But more importantly, we've walked through another chapter of Scripture together, and it has been an absolute gift. Thank you for the blessing it is to be your pastor. Thank you for the honor that it is to walk through Scripture. Let me make one last prayer out for us today. I want to give you this um, little heads up. I'm extremely excited Tomorrow at 2 p.m., I will be picking up my brother. And God willing, he will be here for the week. Um, He happens to be my pastor. Um, So behave. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I mean, as much as I have one. And um, God restored our relationship after over 20 years of not seeing each other. And it's just an amazing story. But I'm real excited for you guys to meet him. He's a really super guy. Uh, He really is. Loves Jesus. An excellent Bible teacher. And I just want to make clear, you'll know it when you see him. I'm the youngest. You'll know that. He's considerably older than I am. Um, Just the same. All right, so. What? He has white hair. Yes, he does. (laughs) And he probably has more than I do. Just not as long. All right. Pray with me, would you please? Oh, Lord, may we celebrate a God who met us where we are to take us from there to a place where we could be lavished in love and in joy and in peace, where we could celebrate the one who rejoices out over us. God, thank you that you love us and want us. Thank you that you rejoice over us with singing and you delight over us, that our prayers are your delight, that you showing mercy to us is your delight. And may we live this week 
in celebration of a king who so loves us. And may we be ambassadors of that love, Lord, to see the others who maybe, maybe they don't look like they, they, they feel rejected, but inside they're just, they are. May we be people who are bold to let them know there is a God who wants them. And in that, God, we just pray you fill us with your spirit to make us bold. And let this month, let this week, let this day be a day you glorify yourself through us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, saints.